Devotion to the Word of God is paramount for every Christian. But how does one rightly interpret Scripture? This holy book is sacred. This holy book must be read and understood correctly. You're listening to the Book of Jude. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Book of Jude. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for your note-taking and your excitement into this uh, series that we're doing, Old Testament and Revelation, a study from uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, a lot of work used from G.K. Beale. My promise is you're never going to read the book of Revelation again, and you're never going to get caught up into all the hoopla, right? Every time something bad happens in the world, you, oh, here it is. This might be the last days. <laughs> I grew up in all that, all that mess. Um, and so did my parents. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of generations have grew up in this and, you know, the left behind stuff. And every, every time you see something, it, it's easy to get caught up. But listen, no one knows when the end is coming. I might be out of pocket for a few days this coming week because we're going to the beach. Now, I hate the beach. I am uh, pale. I, I don't tan. I, I'm either pale white, like a ghost, or I'm red, like a lobster. I'll get burnt. And so when I go to the beach, when I go to the beach, I'm not only wearing uh, suntan lotion. I'm where I'm taking a big hat. Chaplain Jude, why are you going to the beach? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Exactly. Why am I going to the beach? Well, because I have a family and my family wants to go to the beach and we have friends and we, we're all getting together. We're going to stay in some beach houses and go to the beach. I know I've said this before. When, when, when you are asked what your religion is, just say Christianity, please. What is your... Re I'm a hospital chaplain, for those of you who do not know. I ask all the time. That's one of my questions I ask all day long. I think it's just because of the state I'm in. I'm not sure. I say, what is your... Do you, do you have a religion? Yes. Methodist. That's not your religion. Can I put Christianity? Well, yeah, of course. No, not of course. Your religion is Christianity. I don't care that you're a Methodist. It seems like it's getting worse. Every, It's like the people in the hospital think that the only religion that shows up is Christianity, that everyone's Christians. I'm certainly not asking them about Christianity. I'm asking about their denomination. Methodist, denomination, Baptist, denomination. I don't care what your denomination is. I have a button for Christianity, Islam, Judaism, atheist, agnostic, Buddhism, and whatever else it is. I don't have a button for assemblies of God. I don't care. I don't care about your denomination. The only reason I'm asking, sometimes they don't understand. I say, what's your religion? And they look at me like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, Muslim. Oh, 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 Baptist. <laughs> Baptist. Jeez. 
I offered you Christian and you said, no, 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 Baptist. Oh, okay. So there's, you know, we're all Christians, but my goodness, maybe one day I can do enough works and I can get to be called a Baptist. I heard, it was probably a fundamental Baptist. I heard a, I heard some preacher say, and he was he was teaching about John the Baptist. It wasn't it wasn't John the the Methodist. It wasn't John the the Presbyterian. It was John the Baptist. Uh, sir. <laughs> and of course, the people in his church were saying, "Amen, amen." Um, that's that's not. You're showing your ignorance, but okay. Everyone else is happy. All right. Oh, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Anyway, if you're asked what your religion is, your religion is Christianity. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, I know something. When I go into Starbucks, my Starbucks is doing something different now. I don't know why. They have a full-blown conversation with you as you're waiting for your coffee. Guys, let me tell you, I've heard this all my life. When I am not smiling... When I am just looking dead serious, I look mean. I look like a mean person. It works for me. You know, I'm I'm able to walk around in this life and people are, ah, don't talk to that guy. So I'm looking like that and I go up to get my coffee and this girl, she's probably an adult woman, but to me, this girl is like, so you got any plans for today? Mind you, this was like 7 a.m. Oh, do you, do you have any plans for that? Yeah, wake up. Yeah, that's my plan is to wake up, and I'm trying to do that with the coffee. I'm not awake yet. Should I be driving the vehicle? No, I should not be operating a motor vehicle. You are correct, but I got to get this coffee so I can wake up. Do you have any plans for today? And I'm like, ah, no, I'm. I'm. T- it was 7 a.m. because I was taking the taking my car into the shop. They opened at 7:30. I said, yeah, I'm I'm trying to be nice, trying to be Christian, trying to be, you know, spreading the light of Jesus everywhere. I said, yeah, I'm t- I'm taking the car into uh the shop. Oh, okay. Any anything else? Are you seriously saying my coffee's not ready? Is that what my coffee's not sitting behind you? Can you look behind you? Maybe they've put it on the counter. I think it's ready. It has to be has to be. I was the only person in the drive-thru, mind you, lady. Oh my gosh. And um, she goes on to ask me another question. Then she brings up the heat. The heat in Texas is it's a hundred and something. The heat is unbearable. I know why everybody's a Christian in Texas, because if hell is hotter than this, this is insane. But anyway, uh, she asked me another question and another question. I'm like, oh my gosh. So anyway, she finally gives me my coffee and I go and I I drove away thinking, is there a sign that says like introvert, please do not engage? Like, don't engage me. I'm an introvert. I don't want to talk to you, but I am a Christian. So if you want to accept Jesus, I, I, oh, and when I was driving out, it's so narrow how to get out of this little Starbucks driveway. This big old Texas limited edition truck coming, this cowboy coming up, probably had a gun on his hip. Uh, He's coming down, and there's no room for us to do this at the same time. So 
I'm thinking he's going past me. I don't think he's going in the Starbucks. Why would you not think that, Chaplain? Because he didn't have his blinker on. You know what? Pet peeve. Turn your blinker on if you're turning. So this massive monster truck comes, and then he gets mad at me because I'm still in his way, and he can't turn in. You didn't have your blinker on. If you had your blinker on, I could have already been gone. I would have been Bubba. I would have been so far away from you. But no, you don't turn your blinker on because, you know, you're in Texas. You could do whatever you want, I guess. He's in my way. I'm in his way. And it's just a mess. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm never leaving the, the house again. Honestly, all I wanted was coffee. All I wanted was to get my car fixed. It's it's just a mess. The greatest thing was when I when I went in to get my car fixed, the waiting room was full of men. All but one man spoke. Every every man in there except for one was quiet. We were all either looking at our own phones or the TV that's on in there playing deal or no deal 24 hours a day somehow. I don't know how they do that, but 24 hours a day deal every time I go here deal or no deal is on. So, whatever. No one's talking. But then in walks the guy that as soon as he walks in, you know he's going to talk. I mean, he is going to talk. From the the first minute he came in, he they asked him to fill out his information, name, address, phone. Every time you go in here, you have to fill that out. Now, you could, yes, I've been there before. It doesn't matter. It's their thing. Fill out your name, address, and phone number. That's it. That's not a big deal. Uh, I got to put all this in here. I got to put my whole address. I got to put, again, Texas. I got to do all this. Yes. Yes, sir. You, you have to fill out your information. Like, and as soon as he said that, the room was just like, oh my gosh, he's going to. And then uh, every other seat was empty because we were in the every other seat. Everyone sat down with a space in between them because that's what we do. Mind you, there was a guy that chose, I'm just going to sit uh, sit on the stool in front of the, the cash register so I don't break the code. <laughs> this man comes along and sits beside me, and then he goes on to make uh, comments about deal or no deal people. And he really wants somebody to engage with him. Guess what? No one responded to him because, dude, why are you talking? We are all sitting here in silence. We're, we're all worried about the hundreds of dollars we're going to spend on our stupid cars. And, and you're over here talking about uh, take the money and run. I don't know. I think, the, I think the heat's getting to me. It's too hot here. It's too hot. I've lived in Hawaii I know what perfect looks like and feels like. It is too hot here. It's ridiculous. Anyway, y'all pray for me. Uh, <laughs> thank you for letting me vent. This is kind of like a counseling. You think you're coming here to learn some things? I, I need to get some things off my chest too. I need help too. Another installment in the Old Testament and Revelation. I'm so happy to hear that you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. Uh, all the note-taking, lots and lots of note-taking. I know, I know. Could you imagine what I'm staring at right now? All the notes and and some of the notes that I don't even get to because it's, it's, there's so much information to go through. But guess what? 
we are in chapter 2. Yes, that's right. Revelation chapter 2. We're finally there. I know it's unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, a lot. John covered a lot of Old Testament allusions in the first chapter. So, uh, one thing I do want to note from chapter 1, verse 18, it talks about uh, Jesus is saying that he is alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and Hades. We're going to address that later on. We're, we're not skipping over that because that's very important um, to this study. But uh, it comes up later on, so we're going to get to that. So that's why we are in Revelation 2. And the good thing about being in Revelation 2 is a lot of the things, as we read this together, everything we see, we've already talked about. So let me just give you um, an example. Chapter 2, this is the message, the letter to Ephesus, the church. Uh, the one who holds the seven stars in the right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. See, we don't need to talk about that. We've already, you know what that means. You know what that means. Um, and so he says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put the, put them to the test and those who call themselves apostles, uh, you find them to be false. So that's a good starting point. False prophets. This is kind of the, the focus of where it's going to take us today. False prophets. Um, he's talking about their perseverance. They endured for his namesake. Uh, they have not grown weary, but he does have some things against them. You left your first love. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, he's asking them to, uh, repent and, uh, you know, he's threatening them. He's going to remove their lampstand unless you repent. He talks about the Nicolaitans and, uh, the paradise of God, the tree of life. And then we're going to jump to verse 12, the message to uh, Pergamum. Uh, the one, again, it starts out in verse 12, the one with the sharp two-edged sword. We don't need to talk about that. It does talk about Satan's throne. We That'll be another episode, so you can. we're going to come back to that. Uh, but he does bring up Balaam. Balaam from the Old Testament and the things sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality, uh, the Nicolaitans. So if you're, if you're taking notes, you can put false prophets. That's a theme. You can put Balaam, you can put Jezebel, um, Nicolaitans. And then, but first we're going to be discussing, uh, losing your first love and removing the lampstand. Now removing um, your lampstand. So we we knew we know already that the lampstand is the church, and the the spark, the torch, the fire is either the the elder, the pastor of that church, um, the actual angel, the guardian angel over that church, going to remove that lampstand, or um, just the Holy Spirit in general to remove the lampstand and. You might even, you've, you may have never heard this expression, but this is actually an expression that some people still use today is talking about a church that may have went through some hardships or um, some changes in command. And somebody will say, well, it's still going. So I guess 
I guess God hasn't removed the lampstand yet. It's still there. So that's an expression that we use, but Jesus is threatening to remove the lampstand. And uh, you're basically saying, I'm going to remove your witness to those in Ephesus because the lampstand, the, the church will cease to play its role of being a kingdom of priests, a priestly witness to Ephesus. Remember, we already saw that allusion from the Old Testament, a, a priestly kingdom, a kingdom of priests. And that church is there in Ephesus for that specific reason, uh, for a lot of reasons, but specifically this uh, to be a witness. Losing your first love or leaving your first love. To be a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Ephesians' passion and fervor for Christ had become cold, mechanical, orthodox. Their uh, doctrinal and moral purity, their uh, zeal for the truth, and their discipline service were substitute for the love for Christ they had forsaken. So I agree with some of that. I don't agree with how it's preached that they love, they lost their love for Christ in and of itself because the affirming nature of the beginning of the, the letter. So I don't, I don't think that, but the, the last part of this, uh, study note saying their zeal for the truth, their discipline nature. I don't know. I don't really agree with that, uh, particular note from our study Bible, from my study Bible, but, um, I would just say that their, their love, uh, for the gospel, for witnessing, uh, they lost that love. Um, but I don't see anywhere where it says that they lost their love, uh, for Christ to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the one who holds the right hand the stars. Uh, let's see. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. This is all good. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. All good. And you have perseverance uh, and have endured for my name's sake. All good. And you have not grown weary. So nowhere do I see or hear uh, that they're losing their love for Christ and their their convictions, their lifestyle as a Christian. But what he has against them is they lost their first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to remove your lampstand. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, you can see the angel of the Lord or God remove, you know, removing himself from Israel. So again, this language is from the Old Testament, too many to go into, but you as a, even the, the most baby Christian out there that's listening to me, you know that anytime Israel went to idol worship and or sexual morality through idol worship or eating food sacrifice to God's that's when God removed himself and said, you know what, you're on your own. That's when the other nations came and destroyed and conquered and enslaved and exiled and all these things. And we talked a little bit about that last time. But what I do want you to see is what he has against you. You left your first love. He said that you need to repent and do the deeds you did at first. The deeds, 
your your work as a Christian? What is our command as a Christian? It's what I say at the ending of almost every episode. Go out and make disciples. Be about our Father's business. That's what the, that's their love, their zeal, their their love for that. That's the love that they've lost. Everything else, their life as a Christian is good. So maybe they're living in fear. Maybe they're living in seclusion. Maybe they're trying to listen. Telling somebody you're a Christian in Ephesus in their day, that was dangerous. So inviting someone to church was could have been life threatening. So I just cringe when I hear uh, Christians today, specifically in America, who says. Oh, I'm being persecuted as a Christian, or oh, I'm I'm terrified of, of uh, saying I'm a Christian, or I need to stand up. Oh, please, please, and then you go and read the book of Revelation, and you hear you see buzzwords like tribulation and antichrist, and you know all all these all these things that we're going to actually talk about, uh, but you kind of paint yourself into that picture. Like that's that's not even your you're not even in the frame, man. <laughs> you're not even in the frame. This has nothing to do with you. This is the church of Ephesus, the church of Pergamum, and many others. But as we talked about in this episode, this is about them. And and now we can learn from them. We can learn. We can say, hey, if there is ever a time, because since the beginning of Christianity, meaning the, the the New Testament. There have been persecutions, and there is persecution today. But as a person from America, I have never seen or experienced it. Now, you may have, and more importantly, those who are living around the world, I'm not doubting that you may have experienced this. Um, there are countries out there that are against Christianity and we can even, okay, let's, let's stop with Christianity. We'll go back to the old Testament and we can see, yes, Israel has been persecuted since the beginning. So my point is, so we, we can't, we can identify with being a Christian, but we can't identify with being an Israelite, Right. I can't identify with being an Israelite, being um, Babylon coming in and destroying and exile. Like we would never put ourselves in their shoes. But when it comes to Christianity, we tend to be more, have more freedom and liberty in putting ourselves in their shoes. Why? There's a, there's a major, major time gap between them and us. People are in America are boldly sharing the gospel with one another. We can't identify what these Christians in Ephesus were facing. Oh, but you're going to see, you're going to see the the notes as we go along. You're going to see these buzzwords. You're going to see, yay, I stand at the door and knock. What do they say? Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into your heart, the door of your heart, and you got to welcome him in. This was to a church. <laughs> this is not to put this is not a staple on your entire Christian walk. We're going to get there. I'm jumping ahead. But my point is, actually read these chapters over and over as we go through this study. And it's going to, the truth is, the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate this for you 
uh, which is my prayer and my hope, uh, that you're going to understand, okay, this is an, an ancient uh, writing that is filled with truth. But when Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, X, Y, Z, he's not saying it to me. That's my whole point. But after we learn all of the all of the history, we can then turn around and say, okay, what can I learn from the church of Ephesus? They did good. Their love was for Christ. They were living a Christian lifestyle, but they lost their first love of witnessing. And Jesus is what? Threatening to remove their lampstand. However, if they continue to be about their father's business, then they will eat of the tree of life. And another point to take home is, if I hang around with the pagans, if I play with fire, I'm going to get burnt. If I walk that thin line between a sinful life and a Christian life, or a worldly life and a Christian life, however you want to lay it out, you're going you're gonna to stumble. You're going to fall. And so that's what we can take from this is saying they're the warning, the red flags that Jesus is giving to these two churches that we spoke about in this episode. Listen, you're here on this earth, but you're here to be a what? A light, a light. Remember the first couple episodes of Revelation where we're a light, just as the Holy Spirit is the light, the torch the light source on top of the lampstand, the church, who, who is part of the church, the people. Remember that we are then the temple. Uh, our bodies are temples. Our Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're, it, it's all meshing together saying, as we go out, be the light of the world. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. It's, it's, it's just overlapping. It's just saying that we are here for a purpose. You, you listen to me right now. You are here for a purpose. And that purpose is above all else is to be about your father's business, is to be making disciples, living a life set apart from the world. You got to remember, you know how it's not about us, right? Who is John's audience? Specifically in this section of chapter two to the church of Ephesus. Listen, Christianity is not a popular thing. It's not even recognized. And therefore, you have a lot of heat on you as a Christian. Jesus is, is saying, you're not witnessing. You're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Well, I want you to know that when he says you lost your first love, you have abandoned your love you had at first. Um, this is not against them losing their first love of Christ. It's not It's not a reference to their uh, worldliness. They're not falling into temptation of the world. It, he, just, he just tells them that you're doing good here. Uh, you're testing these people. He just, Jesus just went over everything that he's proud of them for doing. Um, so it, it's not, it's not their loyalty to him. It's their lack of witness to the nations. Uh, the wording, the antidote to abandoning the love that they had at first was to do the works they did at first. Again, this is from notes of Dr. Michael Heiser, and, but Beale, 
G.K. Beale, as we use always, uh, he says, this explains the loss of love as unfaithfulness to the covenantal task of enduring in preaching the gospel for a witness. The threat of removing the lampstand is a negative motivation. And then John turns around in verse 7 and says the the positive motivation uh, is Jesus saying, I will grant you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We all know that the whole point of from Genesis to Revelation is God's kingdom bringing us back to the pre-fall Eden. So this is why we see tree of life. Now, I don't need to tell you that if you see eat of the tree of life, obviously that's from Genesis. We all know that. But the idea is, you know, when, when we, you've probably been to funerals and they, they seem to always like to read Revelation, the end of Revelation, where it says, there will be no more, a new heaven, new earth comes down, no, no more tears, no more death, no more, you know, sadness, all these things. Um, that's because we're speaking of death and, and after, well, we're speaking of after death and that one day where it's all going to be okay again. Well, that, what we're looking forward to, that heaven, that final place, that's all coming from the idea of the Garden of Eden, where everything was okay. Sin wasn't brought into the world at that point and everything is fine. Uh, everything is perfect or good at least. So, um, he's reminding them that remember the goal, the goal is the, the afterlife. So yes, church of Ephesus, you are in a place, you are being persecuted. You are going through tribulation. You are, um, you're not the popular person and it doesn't matter. I don't need you to be angry with and unforgiving with your the world around you but i need you to be a witness and if you're not going to do that i'm going to remove your lampstand okay a lot of times pastors will preach this as they lost their first love to christ like they're backsliding or something you lost your first love christ no he he just went to read, read it again on your own um he just told him, no, you're doing everything good. You're, you're staying loyal. You're doing all these things. Your first love was your zeal for the gospel. And how, how did they lose that? Well, if you, it's easy for us to witness to someone who is not our enemy, who acquaintances, friends, family, but it's not easy for us to witness to those who may not like us or an enemy. Well, this is exactly what this means to this church. Jesus is saying, witness to those who hate you, to those who persecute you. You just heard me say the words of Jesus. He said over and over in the gospel, Yes, it's easy to forgive those who forgive you and forgive forgive those who love you, but I want you to love your enemies. You can go through all the gospel and and see that. And also, um, Matthew in Matthew twenty four, which is very heavily uh, eschatological, he's talking about the lawlessness that will increase. The love of many will grow 
cold, uh, but those who endure to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. And so that's verses 12 to 14. Now, did you catch all of that? The love of many will grow cold because of the lawlessness in the world. And again, when they say the world, this is their known world. You could easily just say the Roman Empire. Um, and their, their testimony to all these nations that are around at this point. Um, this makes sense. Ephesus, the church of Ephesus is in a, in a hard spot. They lost their zeal for the gospel, for sharing, not their zeal for God, not their zeal for the Father, Son, and Spirit, but their zeal for their witnessing to the nations. And so this is what Jesus is talking to them about. Um, there is the imagery of Old Testament, uh, you know, abandoning your first love, Jeremiah 2.2. 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. So I would say not specifically John using that, but he, it, 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 you know, you get the point. Uh, you're in a, a land not sown. You're in the wilderness. You're trying to uh, proclaim to Jerusalem. He's telling Joshua, um, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah, to proclaim to Jerusalem. I remember your love at first, your zeal. But you you can um, find all throughout the Old Testament. It would take us too too long to, you know, uh, Jerusalem or, or Israel, the nation of Israel, as the bride um, of God, God being the husband, Israel be, being the the bride or portrayed the imagery as such. And so you can see how uh, Jeremiah 2.2 can fit into that. But So this is how Revelation 2 is starting out. We're reading specific messages to these uh, literal churches that are in Asia Minor. Um, so next, drop down to verse 6. We're going to be jumping around. Uh, we're going to be looking at everything that goes together so remember in the beginning when i told you to write down certain things you're listening to the book of jude connect with us on social media search at book of tim jude on facebook instagram and twitter chaplain jude posts frequently with additional resources for you to further your study of god and his word feel free to ask questions or leave comments remember prayer requests are always welcome search book of tim jude b-o-o-k-o-f-t-i-m-j-u-d-e now back to the show So in verse 6, Christ is still commending them and affirming them in their hatred towards the works of the Nicolaitans and um, mentioning them specifically uh, to the church of Ephesus, but also uh, to Pergamum, to Pergamum. And and so in, uh, I think, verses 14 to 15, he associates this with the teaching of Balaam, uh, teachings of Nicolaitans. Balaam, uh, and 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 puts them together. Also, we see later on puts them together in verse twenty 
with Jezebel. The nature of the sin of Balaam in the Old Testament is clear. Israel was led to worship idols and commit sexual immorality as a result of his influence and counsel. This story, Balaam, uh, Numbers 22 to 25. Uh, also, you can see Numbers 31, 8 and 31, 16. So I just want you to know where we're going here. Uh, eating the food, sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. Note one thing, eating food sacrificed to idols, actually participating in this practice. I don't want, I'm not going to go to where Paul says, if you buy some food in the marketplace and uh, you don't know it was for idols, it's okay, you can eat that. There's, There's no contradictions here. It's actual participating in this ritual. Okay, so so G.K. Beale says Balaam was a pagan prophet hired by Balak, king of Moab, to pronounce a curse upon the invading Israelites. God prevented Balaam from doing from doing so and caused him to issue a blessing on them instead. And that story is found in Numbers 22, starting in chapter 22. However, Balaam subsequently devised a plan and continued disobedience to God, whereby Uh, Some of the Moabite women would entice the Israelite men to defect from the Lord by fornicating with them and joining with them in the worship of their pagan gods. And God punished the Israelites for their involvement. Balaam then became the proverbial false teacher. So I'm going to give you a list of verses from the Old Testament and New Testament that you can find references to Balaam as the example of a false prophet. So Numbers 22, obviously we already said that. Deuteronomy 23, 4. Nehemiah 13, 2. 2 Peter 2, 14 to 16. And Jude, verses 5 through 12. And you can go there and read how Balaam is used as the, you know, well, you don't want to be a false prophet like Balaam, you know, the, the the extreme example, right? And we're going to loop in Jezebel in a second, but uh, I just want you to know when, when Balaam is brought up, it should take your mind specifically to eating the food sacrificed to idols, so idol worship, and committing immoral sexual acts. That's what it should take your mind to. So that's what John is trying to, when he says Balaam, when he says Jezebel, that's the thought that should be put in your head. Remember last episode, we looked at uh, the Canaanite god Baal. Baal. Um, we're doing, he's doing the exact same thing here. We're giving, we're putting an idea in your head. We're giving you the ultimate example of what we're talking about. So although the... Ephesus church is good on hating the works of the Nicolaitans. Uh, Pergamum, not so much. You know, the false teachers were arguing that uh, believers could have a closer relationship with the pagan culture, the institutions, and the and religion than John thought it should be proper. So this is, you know, commending the church of Ephesus, but uh, this was against the church in Pergamum. So the Nicolaitans. 
The Works of the Nicolaitans, a problem in Pergamum, uh, obviously a problem in Pergamum, that church. This heresy was uh, similar to the teachings of Balaam. Nicholas means one who conquers the people. So early church fathers brings us the information and reminds us of the person Nicholas who was made a deacon in Acts 6. Um that he was a false believer who later became an apostate. But because of his credentials, he was able to lead the church astray. And like Balaam, uh, he led the people into immorality and wickedness. The Nicolaitans, followers of Nicholas, were involved in immorality and assaulted the church with sensual temptations. So a quote from Clement of Alexander, they abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence, end quote. Their teaching perverted grace and replaced liberty with license. Teachings from early church fathers, not just Clement, but Irenaeus and others uh, taught that there's a connection between the Nicolaitans and Nicholas from the book of Acts, the deacon. I just take that for what it's worth. There's really no connection there, but I still wanted to bring that to you. Obviously, the church fathers, are they smarter than me? Absolutely. Um, Beale says that they could merely be another name for a Balaam sect. So a group, their teachings falsely, hey, we can have this close relationship with the pagans and we can do things. It's okay. So who are the Nicolaitans? False. It's a false prophet teaching falsely. The other reason why it's associated with Balaam is because um, the wording, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the language and everything, but they both, Nic uh, Nicolaitans, uh, different ways to say it in their language means he overcomes the people. Balaam means he consumes the people or he rules over the people. So people do this, um, what's the word, etymology. They're They're trying to make a connection through the through the wording of the of the different names and group names. So uh, again, take that for what you will, but this is the point John is trying to make. Again, Revelation 2, 14 to 15, 20 to 21, references to the teaching of Balaam and, and uh, uh, Jezebel. So I mentioned we're going to loop in Jezebel as we see her come up in verse 20 of this chapter. Uh, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By teaching, uh, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So Craig Keener in his Revelation commentary states, a large number of commentators envision the situation as a primary contributor to quote-unquote Jezebel's appeal. Not surprisingly, a prophet or a prophetess who tells the people what they want to hear can become readily popular. And he cites 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. Yet as some in Ephesus falsely claim to be apostles, Revelation 2, 2, some in Smyrna and Philadelphia falsely claim to be Jews, chapter 2, verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, and the Laodicean Christians claim to be rich, chapter 3, 17. This Jezebel falsely claims to be a prophetess, chapter 2, verse 20, as we just read. She, Jezebel, is a deceiver 
who misleads God's servants. That was all Craig Keener. But he continues, like Balaam, this false prophet or prophetess receives a nickname, undoubtedly not of her own choosing, because Jesus' title for her, Jezebel, immediately calls to mind multiple associations. The biblical Jezebel was not a prophetess. So the Jezebel character that we know from uh, the book of 1 Kings, uh, she now she sponsored 850 false prophets. She sought to take the lives of God's true prophets, um, but she herself was never a prophetess. She is never accused of uh, being a harlot, all right, sexual immorality, but she sponsored spiritual harlotry by leading Israel away from its God, 2 Kings chapter 9, where her religious activity is also compared with witchcraft. Remember uh, last episode, Baal, I'll say Baal once again, Baal worship became prominent in the northern kingdom of Israel during the days of King Ahab. Who did King Ahab marry? Jezebel. And the Canaanite worship included human sacrifice as well as sexual rites. Jezebel most certainly introduced Samaria to the worship of Baal and again, 1 Kings. So if you want to go read about the biblical character Jezebel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And so this was a pseudonym for a woman who influenced the church in a way, in the way that Jezebel influenced the Old Testament Jews into idolatry and immorality. So again, to sum up, Balaam, uh, the pagan seer in Numbers, in the Old Testament, Numbers 22, gave Balak advice leading to Israel's harlotry in Moab, uh, Numbers 25. And Jezebel uh, and other professing Christians in the seven churches were indulging in pleasures offered by their pagan environment. And the woman at Thyatira is called Jezebel because, like the Old Testament figure, she seduced people to sexual immorality and idolatry, two major forms of indulgences in pagan Asia Minor. There's the big picture. This woman teaches that Christians can still be faithful even if they commit uh, some degree of idolatry. Do you see? Do you see the big picture? Have I been saying Pergamum this whole time? <laughs> I'm get, I'm getting everything confused. So I listen, Balaam and and the Nicolaitans, Pergamum, uh, and then in verse twenty, Jezebel was mentioned in Thyatira. So I I'm sorry. I'm sorry, forgive me. I was just reading my note that said the woman at Thyatira. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> so anyway, hopefully I didn't confuse you. Balaam, Jezebel, Nicolaitans. Wherever we see that, whatever churches, you know, these church, the letters to the churches, they're all broken up, but uh, they're all painting the same picture. Hey, and I apologize. We've had some uh, technical difficulties during this episode. I don't know what's going on, but uh, some of the volume is off. Just so you know that I know that you know that I know that you know. Okay, so you don't need to tell me because I already know. But other than that, I think all the information is getting through. So I appreciate your patience. All right, sports fans, that's going to do it for us today. Hey, pray for me. I'm going to be doing some traveling with my family. We're going to go to the beach and hang out for a couple of days with some friends and family. 
keep the messages coming on social media. I want you, I want to pray for you. And I also want to answer any questions you may have that I may, maybe I forgot something or didn't explain something well. So please reach out so I can make any corrections. Thank you for those of you who uh, do that. And hey, until next time, go make disciples and be about your father's business.